Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado. With me again this week is Carter. Carter, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm hanging in there. It's been a busy week with the midterms and all that, and both sports going right now with basketball and football, so my sleep schedule is kind of non-existent really at this point, but um, hanging in there, we're almost a Saturday, so... Yeah, you've had some busy time, and right before we went on air to tape, you looked up a midterm in accounting, and you got a, a solid A, so congrats. Yeah, you thank you. might not you. have was... got some sleep, but you got a solid A. Apparently, it was worth staying up till 4 a.m., so... Uh, oh, it's... See, oh, this well. old person cringes at that. You're a rock star. <laughs> um, okay, so previewing the show today, this is what I have penciled out for us. We're going to talk a little bit about that big, ginormous ASU win on Saturday night for Senior Day. We're also going to talk some hoops. I know Carter was at the game last night. The Beavers beat UC Santa Barbara. We're going to also kind of branch out and talk a little bit of the NC2A and a couple uh, suspensions that have been levied down and some punishments to Ohio State's Chase Young and Memphis basketball player James Wiseman. Um, just Carter has some ideas and thoughts on that, and I thought it was something good to address to uh, you know on the pod. We talk college sports in general as well. We're going to talk Washington State. Not to be a jinx, I do want to kind of throw out the possibilities that I've kind of figured for bowl possibilities. Like I said, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but it's always good to kind of know where the beeves potential could be. We're going to go with quick hits. Carter, not a not a strong week last week, but I think you take a, a win over doing really great in quick hits. So, oh, absolutely. Five out of ten, so 50% there. We're going to answer some damn questions. And then I also want to uh, open up, and I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i do a pitch now and a pitch later, but Civil War is next week. And I know so many of our listeners have some great Civil War memories. And next week on the pod, I'd like to share some of those memories and share them with our readers at Beaver Blitz. So if you have a great Civil War memory or um, a thought about Civil War uh, or what it means to you or your family, send me, submit a story. It doesn't have to be long. It can be short. It can be long. However you want to do it, you can submit it to me. Um, either via Twitter, just ask for my email address, or you can send it directly to me, Angie at beaverblitz.com. But we'll run over that again. I just think it's fun to highlight some of our fans for Civil War memories. We get everything from two years ago to 50 years ago, so it's fun. And then uh, we're going to wrap things up and uh, get ready for Washington State. So let's dive right in. That senior day win was huge. Talk about, Carter, what you thought was, you know, what that did for the team going forward and then heading into this week, what does that, that win do? We've thrown around the idea of signature wins for Coach Smith uh, kind of throughout the season as they, they get these big wins uh, in conference play. And I've kind of deflected um, calling any of those wins signature. But I think this one counts. To get, your first, to get the program's first home conference win since the 2016 Civil War, to do it on senior day with, with this uh, group of seniors who's really been through it all. Uh, you know, I, I think that's probably the, the best, the best win Smith has gotten here so far and probably the best game that this team has played on both sides of the ball um, under his tenure. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just um, to get that monkey off the back of, of a home win, to do it on senior night. And ASU isn't a bad team. You know, this was a team that started the season red hot. And, um, you know, they've, they've struggled down, down the stretch, but it's a very well coached team, a lot of talent. And they were in the top Riley, 20, too, at, at, at some point. At some point, yeah, early in the season. And, you know, and, and Peter Riley Osborne broke down some thoughts. He's a former offensive lineman, and he really loves trench play. And what he talked about in a story we released today in the Lodge, um, just about the breaking down, looking at what Oregon State's offensive line had to face with their defensive linemen and the stunts they did and kind of the different looks that they were giving, um, you know, very, very solid defense. So, um, you know, hats off to Oregon State. Huge win. Noah Togiai, total player of, the, player of the game, in my opinion. And I guess we can't overlook Hamilcar either. So um, how about you? Do, any, any game balls you want to hand out? I completely agree with Tongi. I, uh, I, I think that was probably, um, in terms of yardage, it, it wasn't the best game of his career, but he did set a career high in receptions with eight. Uh, he had that highlight reel play on the touchdown where he hurtled the defender into the end zone, um, threw another re- defender to the ground like like he's done throughout this season. So, uh, no, really, probably his his best game of his career, and you know, I thought it was really fitting that that came on senior day uh, for a guy who's really been through a lot personally and team wise. And then you mentioned uh, Hamaka Rashid on the defensive side, two sacks, four more tackles for loss. I mean. What else is there to say about this guy? He leads the country in both uh, both categories now, and it's just it's incredible what he's been doing this uh, this season, especially considering where the defense was last year in terms of both of those categories. Oh, completely. I mean, I I believe, and I don't have the stats pulled up. Fifty three tackles for loss last season total, and Oregon State's already at eighty with two games left. Yeah, insane. Huge. The Huge turnaround, turnaround. The turnaround has been just incredible. Still, still a ways to go. Um, obviously, but um, definitely, I, I think finally, do you feel that Beaver fans are finally starting to feel that maybe the corner is starting to be turned? Well, I know I am. Um, yeah, we look at the stands last Saturday, and there's you know probably the smallest amount of uh, of fans we've ever seen for a conference game, and I don't know in the last ten years plus probably. Um, so it's it's not translating to more fans and seats, but I think. Uh, in general, kind of the sentiment in Beaver Nation is that um, that win kind of got the program over the top, I guess, um, just just in terms of turning it around from where it's been since really since Coach Riley left. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, this is, you know, now the best season they've had since 2013. Uh, if they can get to a bowl, it would be the first time since since that season that they made it to a bowl. So, um you know, five wins isn't going to get you any national headlines or anything. But in terms of you know, when you keep it relative to this program, I, I think it's definitely a, a turning point. And I think it's something that they can really build on and um, kind of push themselves back into relevance. Yeah, yeah. I was I was actually disappointed. I know I, I talked to you about it while you're down on the field pregame um, at the lack of turnout. And, and I get it. I get Beaver fans. I get your, you know, not wanting to go and, and spend your time. But it was a beautiful day in Corvallis and senior day. And um, it was a a great day. So I was kind of disheartened to see so few fans there, but at the same time, I do, I agree with you. I think that the program is making, you know, big strides and um, you know, time, time's one of those things that um, I I think as they start winning more games, fans are going to be showing up and, 
you know, this, this weekend's game is, it's interesting, but before we go there, let's talk some basketball. I know you were at the game. The Beavers are now four and one on the season, big win over uh, UC Santa Barbara. And, you know, that was, they were one of the, uh, they were co-league champions last year, correct? Yeah. I mean, you have to give a lot of credit to, to Santa Barbara where they're at as a program and for Oregon state to be able to beat them, I think kind of says a lot about this team so far. Um, because I, I would consider that another really quality win, you know, probably not necessarily on the same level as that Iowa State win, but those two games so far are games that the committee looks at in March and says, um, you know, this team is maybe better than some of the other bubble teams because those are really quality wins against teams that could be competing for tournament spots themselves. Yeah, I mean, CSUN and uh, Santa Barbara are two, I think, quality opponents for them. Uh, and then Ja'Cory McLaughlin made his return as a gaucho. Um, you know, talk about, did you see any, you know, was it, was he, did he look happy to be back in the, in the old gym? Or, uh, you know, did you see any of his old teammates talking to him before or after the game? I didn't really notice any um, interactions between him and any of the Beavers. But uh, during the starting lineups, he did get kind of a, a larger ovation from, from the, uh, 3,000 plus that were in attendance you know we talk about attendance and these these early season basketball games don't really draw a whole lot of attention but um, they were definitely I think happy to see McLaughlin back out there and he struggled from the floor two of ten on his field goals he only had eight points but um, really just a really good all-around player that I think um, you know his talents weren't necessarily being recognized on the Oregon State roster at the time, and so he transferred out. And you know, I think he's really going to find some success with this Santa Barbara team this year. And I, I think, you know, as their point guard, he can kind of lead them to maybe another run at the conference championship. How about the Beavs? Who has stood out to you early now uh, in the season? Well, of course, we got to go with Trace Tinkle here. Yeah, um, Trace Tinkle. You another double-double. Yeah, 27 points, by the way. And he, he actually passed Stephen Thompson Jr. for fourth on the all-time scoring list at Oregon State and you know at the pace he's going he's probably going to take that top spot at at this rate so uh, really impressed by what he's done so far this year he would be my pick for conference player of the year um, in the preseason and everything that he's done so far in the first five games of the year um, backs up my opinion there um, I, w- I want to give another shout out to Alfred Hollins last night I thought he had a really really good game hit some timely shots um, third on the team in scoring with 13 points. He's really started to come into his own a little bit this season. And, you know, that's something that we've seen from guys like Hollins and Reichel, um, even a little bit Kyler Kelly, you know, a lot of improvement from the starters over a year ago. And when you combine that with that added depth that they've got with the freshmen and uh, Juco guys and whatnot, you know, this team is, is a lot, lot better than last year. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Trace Tinkle is just kind of getting it done everywhere. Offense, defense, um, just really a standout performance last night and, and what we've seen from him. I think I've heard 16 points per game is what he needs to average to beat uh, Gary Payton and take that top spot for all-time leading scorer. So, um, I, I like you said, I, I don't think that will be, a you know, barring injury, that shouldn't be a problem. No, he's averaging 20-plus already in non-conference, and um, you know, they're going to rely on him a lot more in conference play too, so I, I could see his his scoring totals being probably in the mid twenties per game this year. Um, if he keeps it up. So no, I, I think he'll probably secure that top spot well before the season's even over. 
Yeah, yeah. Super fun to watch. So if you haven't got down to Gill to see Trace Tinkle during his career, make sure to try to get down there and see him at least once in Gill Coliseum because uh, this is a guy that you'll probably be telling your kids about someday that you saw him playing Gill. So um, that kind of a legendary performer. So um, switching back to, we're going to broaden this up a little bit. And this was a topic you brought up that you want to talk about. And I think it's really timely um, as we start talking about the NC2A, there's been changes, you know, they've, the, the legislation coming out about paying for likeness. But then the NC2A has done a couple kind of head scratchers in a couple of um, couple cases here. So Chase Young, a defensive lineman at Ohio State, was I, – I did some reading on this right before we came on. So he basically took a loan from a family friend that he had known before he went to Ohio State to buy a plane ticket for his girlfriend to go to the Rose Bowl last year. Paid it all back. And he got a two-game suspension. James Wiseman. Now, this one's a little more interesting. James Wiseman, true freshman, Memphis Memphis basketball player. It sounds like Coach Hardaway had given the mom a loan before he was on staff at Memphis. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, that's right. He was... um... It was before he took the job, but before he took the job, but he was considered but, a booster to Memphis. Yeah, so so that's the reason why it was uh, deemed illegal by the NCAA was because he had donated to the university to build a um, like a Hall of Fame type building or or some sort of institution there at the school. So he was a booster, which is what made that. Um, and so he he was given a twelve game suspension. So basically, their entire preseason. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Too hard not hard enough what you know what are your what are your thoughts on some of these well i look at the wiseman thing and the thing that gets me is in addition to that suspension um the thing that i find completely ridiculous is that the ncaa is requiring wiseman himself to donate over eleven thousand dollars to charity um to offset the 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 money eleven thousand dollars that hardaway gave right that, that hardaway gave his mom and so there are two things in in particular that I, I look at with that, let's call it a fine, and I, I just think is ridiculous for the NCAA to do that. Number one. They're not ab- allowing these kids to be paid. Well, yeah, how, exactly. How are you supposed so, to pay it back? So, so where does this money come from? Because an 18-year-old, I think he's 18 years old. I, I don't know for sure. An 18-year-old kid in college who's not allowed to uh, have any income of, of any sort, can't profit off of his likeness, where is he going to come up with $11,000 to pay to charity in order to get, in order just to, just to play basketball again? Now, this, this is a kid who was number one overall, um, number one, uh, not drafty, um, signee in this year's class, Mm -hmm. and is probably most likely a one and done kid. But same, yeah, what, you couldn't come up with 11 grand? No, I mean, there's no way. You're a college and, kid. And, and think about this, too. So, so Hardaway paid Wiseman's mom the, the $11,000 to help with moving costs in 2017. So this time, Wiseman's probably a 16-year-old kid. Do you think he has any say in his mom's decision to accept this money exactly. from somebody who's not even on staff at Memphis? You know, it's not like he's going to go to his mom and say, hey, Mom, you can't do that. Please don't it's take this money. Like... <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, Wiseman himself probably didn't even realize that it was going to be a, a violation of any sort. So so to make Wiseman himself 
donate this money just to become re-eligible? I mean, in, in what way is that fair to the kid um, you know, when he really did nothing wrong? Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I mean, just, some of these rules are ridiculous, know. you know, I mean, the NC2A, you know, you, you see reasons, you know, you again, and like Chase Young, he paid back the loan. It was somebody he knew. Now, I, I get it. You, you can't be having boosters out, you know, helping, you know, there's there's rules in place. But we know that rules are getting skirted all day, every day. Yeah. And to touch on the, the Chase Young thing, this is a guy who, as a defensive player, was really considered to be in the running for the Heisman race. I mean, this is the caliber of player we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah. This isn't just some, you know, random lineman at some group of five school that nobody's ever heard of. This is arguably one of the best players in college football. Um, it, really being punished and having his Heisman hopes being taken away by a suspension over something as minor as flying, flying his girlfriend out to a game. On a loan, yeah. on a loan that he paid back to a family friend. I mean, it's it's a casual exchange of money. He paid it back. You know, he's not profiting in any way. Um, it wasn't the three hundred dollar handshake to get the no. girlfriend over. I mean, no, I just it's ridiculous. I I really don't and they wanted understand. it to be a four game suspension, which yeah. to me is like again, like you said. It, I mean, it's it's politics in play. It's it's got to be politics in play. Well, and the, the way I see it is the NCAA, I mean, just the way that they've gone as, as a corporation in the last couple of years, to me, confirms that their number one priority is their bottom line, and they're mm-hmm. using the student-athletes as, as a method of bringing in revenue. And, I mean, it, it's, I'd be hard-pressed to find evidence against that claim. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's silly. I agree completely. And I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. And I think it's hypocritical at a time like this, where they're exploring the the possibility of letting these student athletes uh, profit off of the use of their likeness. I I think it's hypocritical to go and uh, punish these kids for, for really minor things like this um, that, that involve money at a time when they're thinking about opening the Avenue to make that possible. Yeah, yeah, I just, exactly. The timing is confuses me. The whole situation is just a mess, and it's just a bad look for college athletics. Definitely, definitely. It's and and when there's other violations that really probably that need to be addressed, and those are what they're picking. You know, that's, exactly, exactly. And, and like you said, the the 11, paying back eleven thousand four hundred dollars to charity when this kid is a basketball player and can't make any money. And then I saw somewhere someone was going to start a GoFundMe account to help him. And it was like, well, you a can't pro do player. that either. And then they said they can't do that because that would be a violation as well. So yeah, it's, it's a interesting conundrum. You and I are never going to answer the, the question. We're never going to have an answer or solution, but um, super hip, hypocritical. Yeah. But let's talk Washington state. I'm going to just jump right into Washington state. Beavers need one game, Carter, one game to be bowl eligible. I can't believe it. I mean, and the ducks. They haven't been this close in years. I know. And in August, when you and I sat, you know, at all those fall camps, I mean, we spent hours and hours in Corvallis. And I remember, you know, we definitely had seen this team being better, but neither one of us had this team as a bowl team. Well, let's go back to when we recorded our first podcast back in, what was it, the beginning of September? Yep. yep. August, maybe. It was in August. Um, and, and we previewed the schedule and I made the comment about, well, we were, we were talking about 
um, at what point do the coaches go to Jebbia and start building for the future? And I said, you know, well, after the first five games or something, we'll look at where they're at. And if they're competing for bowl eligibility, I think you still go with Luton. And you kind of looked at me and you said, what bowl eligibility? Did yeah. You just, did you just claim Oregon <laughs> State's making a bowl? And I was like, yeah, bold prediction, blah, blah, blah. Here we are, November. Yeah, look at uh, you. With with two meaningful games left, Oregon State has a chance to go bowling. How about that? I mean, I can't remember in November where we've had meaningful games. It's been a long, long time. It's been a long while. So Washington State. Now, back in August and September, when we were looking at the schedule, this is the one game that I just don't like the matchup. This air raid offense against, you know, Oregon State's defense, their weakness is the secondary. But now the more and more I've watched a Washington State, dude, their defense sucks too. Oregon State might have an advantage in defense. What what are your thoughts? You've broken down the numbers. How do you see this game playing out? You know, what do you think Oregon State's strengths is going to be? And where do you think uh, you know, where on the on the Cougars can the Beavers exploit them? It's going to be a shootout for sure and um I mean, if you like defense, just do not tune in cuz there's not going to be a whole lot going on. Um, Oregon State's secondary, obviously, is the weakness of that unit. And to see them match up against the most prolific passing attack in the country, I, I think that's recipe for disaster in terms of yards and points allowed. So the Beavers are probably going to have to score upwards of, I don't know, 45, 50 points to even compete, I would yeah, guess. that's what I said, too. Um And, I mean, to be honest, this is one of the best spots to do it because Washington State's not going to play any defense either. Uh, Theirs is more just kind of an all-around problem where they just, I mean, they give up yards all over the place. They don't necessarily have a a position group that carries them or anything or or one that stands out as a defense or as as a weakness. So, I don't know. Just look for yards on yards and yards. Look at last week. I mean... Stanford and Wazoo played last week and both quarterbacks throw for 500 yards. I, I just, genuinely think that we're going to see something like that again. I, I do too. Um, now, you know, my opinion is I think the difference maker could be ham. I think a pass rush since the Beavers seem to have one this year could be a big difference maker. Absolutely. And uh, coach Tibisar, uh the other day mentioned Stopping Washington State is, it comes down to um, kind of two tactics on defense. One, your, sec- your, your secondary has to play well. They have to lock down on receivers. And two, you have to pressure the quarterback. And, I mean, it might seem obvious, but uh, against that kind of an offense, that's really what you have to do because if the quarterback has all day to throw, those receivers have all day to get open. And I, I think this is a game where we see – a guy like Rashid, like you mentioned, be a difference maker because uh, if if the Beavers can get in the backfield, force Anthony Gordon to throw it away a little bit more, um, you know, maybe maybe bring him down in the backfield and bring up a third and long type of situation. That's really the only way to get that efficient of an offense off the field because you know they're going to get at least five yards every play because if some guy's not open downfield, it's a check down for four or five yards and you know they just they continually pick up first down so yeah I don't know I mean I I think pressure is going to be the Beavers key here on defense and offensively they're going to just have to play possession football and you know have some really long drives try to score every possession 
and control the clock too. And yeah, control the clock with some with long drives. It's going to because yeah, because you you can't just keep putting your defense out there because you know the secondary is going to get tired of chasing guys down and the pass rush is going to get tired of going up against one of the best offensive lines in the Pac-12. So uh, to control the time of possession, maybe try to keep the score in check a little bit. Um, You know, um, the the Beavers are obviously going to have to score a bunch of points too, but to to limit the number of possessions that both teams get, I think that's the Beavers' uh, best shot of pulling up, pulling off. I don't know if I want to call it an upset, but um, maybe maybe an improbable win. The, the, the line started at like 14 and a half points on Monday, which yeah, that's me. too high. I think it's down to 10 and a half now. Um, Eric, my husband, he thinks that's probably still a little high. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's high, you know, Vegas kind of, those guys know what they're doing. Those, the guys that bet on these things, they seem to know, but um, I made my prediction already. It's, it'll be in the, uh, in the staff picks that we released on Friday, but um yeah, I, I see it. it's going to be an interesting game. Now, the one piece, we, we spoke with Kook fans editor Barry Bolton, and the one thing that he said will work maybe if or if there was a, a silver lining for Oregon State being on the road in Pullman is the fact that Washington State releases um, for Thanksgiving break Friday night or Friday afternoon. So the students will be gone for the most part. And uh, he said last year this game, right before the Thanksgiving break, only drew 22-5. So as far as some big, huge home field advantage, it's not going to not going to be there. No, I, I would fully expect Martin Stadium to be uh, fairly empty. And you, you mentioned the students being gone. Well, it's also going to be freezing at like literally freezing 32 degrees at, at kickoff. So, yeah, yeah, that'll keep away uh, probably some of the more casual fans. Um, Mike Leach actually touched on this in his I don't know if you listen to his weekly press conference. It's always I mean, always... it's like a sitcom, basically. Yeah, but yeah. Um, he was asked if he, um, when he was a student in college at BYU, if he ever stuck around for those um, those games before Thanksgiving when he was on Thanksgiving break. And he, you know, he turned it into a whole thing about the speed limits and all of the states driving back and everything, <laughs> and how it was 55 miles per hour until midnight in Wyoming. And, you know, he, you know, goes on one of his tangents, but he mentioned, you know, in all seriousness, we want our students to stay an extra day. And for a lot of them, that's realistic. Uh, so why not? Why not help us uh, pull off a big win here and get the Cougs bowl are eligible for, bowl for ourselves? Eligibility too. Yeah, 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 they're not I mean, bowl eligible either. Both teams are five and five. So this is an equally important game for Wazoo because uh, after this, they go into a tough matchup with with their rivals. So. For both teams, this is their best chance to get bowl eligible for the remainder of the season. Yeah, yeah, because they have the Apple Cup the following week. So talking about the bowl possibilities, like I said, I'm not trying to jinx everybody, but I also want you guys to know, I mean, I've, there's been all kinds of, you know, the cheese at bowl. The cheese at bowl is not, um, from the research that I did and kind of numbers, if Oregon State wins and they're six and, what, six and? Uh, six and five. Six and five. Um, or they'll be six and six if they, let's say they win, they beat Washington State and lose Civil War. The worst that they would be would be sixth place in the Pac-12. That would be like their worst finish. And that would, um, the Cheez-It Bowl is a seventh place bowl. So I don't think they would fall that low, which that's in Phoenix, I believe. Um, so the, the most viable possibilities for the Beavers right now in play, Holiday Bowl in San Diego, 
Red Box Bowl in San Francisco, Sun Bowl in El Paso, and then the Vegas Bowl. So, I mean, I mean, I guess if I was picking, Holiday Bowl would be the best. I wouldn't mind going down to San Diego. Um, I mean, if the Beavers make a bowl, I'm, I would gladly go anywhere, to be honest. But yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think the players feel the same way, obviously. But uh, it's kind of cool to look at it and say, well, this bowl is out of consideration because the Beavers are too good for it. Yeah, How about yeah. that? <laughs> I mean, seriously. So, yeah, the Rose is out of contention. They can't make the Rose Bowl and then the Cheez-It Bowl. But, um, and, and if obviously the college football playoff is not in play, um, which that's going to be interesting. That whole college football playoff, you know, where the Ducks lie, where Utah lies. I still feel Utah is a better team and will has a great chance to beat the Ducks at that in the Pac-12 championship, but you can't count them out. Yeah, and, and the playoff might be out of reach for Oregon State this year, but think about this, Civil War, um, Oregon's going to be, you know, they're going to be looking for uh, for yet another resume builder to get into the playoffs. Yes. And if Oregon State can go in and upset them at Austin to hold them out of the playoff, how cool would that be? Oh, my, my, um, my son the other night, last night was, Mom, how rad would it be if Oregon State could beat the Ducks in Civil War? <laughs> I mean, it would be crazy. I don't and, see it happening, but, you know, crazier things have happened. Well, so it's kind of cool that the, the situation lines up where if the Beavers lose to Washington State this week, you go into a civil war with probably the biggest postseason um, kind of tie-in since the Civil War for the Rose Bowl back, I don't know, what, 10 years ago or so. 10 years ago, yeah. Where you've got a situation where Oregon State, with a win, gets bowl eligible. Oregon, with a win, is one win away from the college football playoff, possibly. And Oregon State could go in there to Autzen get a win, keep the Ducks out of the playoff, and make a bowl themselves, that would be huge. Yeah. What? Okay, and even if Oregon State plays the Ducks tough, that could be enough to keep them out as well. True. The style True. points or whatever they talk about. Okay, so are you ready to do some uh, quick hits? Yes, of course. Five of ten last week. Yeah, it's all right. Like, These games are getting more like and more flip. unpredictable. Though. I know. Seriously, coin flips here. Um, you know the, the questions. I'm not changing them up. Jake Luton, will he throw over 300 yards this week? Yes, I would go so far as to say I would lock that one up. Okay, lock. Um, who will be the leading rusher? Mm, tough. This is, I mean, this has become one of the tougher ones because oh, both has. guys are healthy. Uh, it was Pierce last week. I'll go Jefferson this week. Okay. Um, leading receiver? Hodgins. I, I don't even need to ask because I started writing down before you said. Um, leading scorer. Hmm. Hodgins. Okay. That's what you said last week. And you, we kind of had a tie because like everybody just scored one. Yeah. Um, takeaways. Will the Beavs have over or under two takeaways? I'll say under, but there is the opportunity to uh, pick off Gordon, who is averaging, I believe, about one interception a game. And... Uh, you know, for the Beavers to have a chance in this one, turnovers would go a long way to keep Washington State off huge, the field. Huge. How about sacks? Over or under two? I'll go over, even though uh, Washington State's offensive line is elite. And I, I think Gordon's good enough at getting it out of his hands quickly. But again, if the Beavers want to have a chance here, they have to get pressure on him. And I think they will. Uh, leading tackler for Oregon State. 
Avery Roberts. Okay. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Well, let's, let's go back here. Probably somebody in the secondary. Um, I'll go... I know who I'd go with, but I'm not going to color hmm. your... Uh... Okay, hold on. I'll go David Morris. Okay, that's what I was going to say. That was yeah. what I was going to suggest. Um, kicking game, over under 50%. Over. Yeah, that's been... Will the Beavers score over 35 points? Yes, they have to. And will they hold the Cougs to under 200 yards rushing? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Since they're only averaging 80 yards rushing. Um, yeah, the if, Cougs, they give, so. if they give up that many to Washington State, we've got a problem. We're, we're in trouble. Okay, so there's that. Um, you want to do some damn questions? Of course. Okay, let's do some damn questions. I feel like we need some music or something for the damn questions. We need yeah, we, we need some sort of intro here. I need an intro for the damn questions. I'll have to go back to Fiverr and have someone voice over for me here. Um, okay, let me pull this up. Okay, here's Sean Leahy. I'm going to start right off with Sean Leahy. Is Trevon Bradford still playing on planning on registering this season? Um, and what is Colby Taylor's status this week? Um, I think Trevon, yeah, Trevon. In fact, I heard today that Trevon most likely will not play this week. Is that what you heard as well? At the uh, press conference uh, on Monday with Coach Smith, he mentioned that Bradford would um, prepare all week as if he was going to play and then make a decision in game time. That's what I guess he's been doing throughout. Yes, but today kind of... Coach Smith said they were leaning toward not playing him. Okay, okay. So um, that's yeah, the... and, and it was partially, I think, tied into Colby Taylor's status. Smith said he was hopeful that he would be able to play. Yeah. And uh, if Taylor's good to go, I don't think there's any chance Bradford would play. Yeah. Um, Christian Face says, I love this team's momentum. Do we bring Brat back the entire coaching staff next year? I say yes. I, yeah, I mean, of course. I don't see anybody leaving. So No, and really the only weak position group right now is the secondary, and I still think the Blue Adams is – one of the best coaches on the staff. So yeah. And, and he's, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of weeks to see a couple more Juco DBs commit. So, um, it's a couple we're watching pretty closely. So we might have more to talk about next week, but, uh, I agree. I think adding some depth there, you have David Morris back next year. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't see any reason to, to fire any coaches yeah. for any reason. Uh, Matthew Chiafoni asked with Bankston off the table, who do the Beavs target at D-Tackle right now? So um, if you are just joining the pod and you don't really follow recruiting um, super closely, Latrell Bankston, the big defensive tackle from um, Hutchinson College in uh, Kansas, committed to Iowa State today, um, kind of between Oregon State, Iowa State, Kansas State, stuck um, closer to home in the Midwest there. I am keeping an eye on Mosiah Nasili-Kite. He is at Independence College in Kansas and uh, is a Washington bounce back. So there's some familiarity with Coach Smith and his staff, and that is one I'm watching pretty closely um, for them de- for the defensive line. So that's that's where I'm watching. Yeah, interesting there with the, the relationship with Coach Smith. I would imagine there's some familiarity there. So And he's a Washington um, kid. You know, he came yeah, from Washington. He's, he's a Northwest kid. Local so. Northwest guy. I just see that being um, kind of the fit they're going to go after. So that's where I'm watching there. Mark, oh, it's uh, Mark Heikendall. Explain what locks a transfer portal player in. Like a letter of intent locks in a high school or JC player, what locks in a transfer? Super good question. And I think he's kind of getting to, remember the, the Devin Williams situation? Um, 
because these transfer kids, they don't sign an LOI. This is my understanding now. I'm not a compliance person, but so Oregon State's had two big transfers the past this past term. You had the Devin Williams transfer that was a transfer and then it wasn't, and he ended up at Oregon. And then we had the Charles Moore transfer. And I, I know Beaver Nation last week was kind of panicked that he was committed, but then he wasn't going to be. So the what how I understand it is for these transfers to be locked in, they have to enroll in school and attend class. So as soon as they attend step foot in a class for their first class, then they're locked in. Um, so where Oregon state kind of where that fell through with Devin Williams was he was on campus. He enrolled in classes, you know, signed his financial aid agreement. Everything thought everything was okay. He was going to go home to get his stuff, get his car, get his personal belongings and drive back up. But he did not step foot in a college class at Oregon state. So he just enrolled. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm following along there. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to put any uh, doubt on the Charles Moore situation, but that does raise an interesting question where um, he committed well after the deadline to add and drop classes. So if he's not in class this term and he has to wait until January when winter term starts, does that mean he's technically not locked in um, no, because as, I've as an Oregon State student then? He is attending classes. Okay, okay. He so, is attending classes at Oregon State. Okay. So he had been attending classes before the announcement. Gotcha. So that's that's the difference. And I, like I said, I am not a compliance officer. Um, those guys have to know a lot of stuff. Um, but that is, um, that's kind of the, the difference, right? So from my understanding, then once you're locked in, you've attended, you know, you've started attending classes at that university. Um then if you were to transfer again, it's another year. You have to sit. That's mm. where that works. Um, Never Tweets asks, how would you rate the incoming 2020 recruiting class compared to OSU's last couple years? I, I think it's pretty, it's, it's pretty on par. I think it might be a little bit better. But, um, you know, Oregon State, as far as, like, the, the classes, they're going to be kind of that 50 to mid-60s range right now. And depending on, I could see Isaiah um, Newell getting bumped a little bit. He's killing it right now. This last week's game, he had nine rushes for 309 yards and four TDs. That's a pretty good stat line right there. So yeah, that's really um, good. I could see, you know, some of these guys getting bumped a little bit here in the last round of, um, you know, once all the postseason film gets out. But um, where Oregon State is making the big waves is with that transfer portal. They're yeah, just... and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, the transfer portal does not uh, calculate into their recruiting rankings, does it? No, no. Yeah, um, so they are twenty four seven is they they're doing some things where they're giving these kids some uh, a score, typically less than maybe the huge five star they were, just because there's a reason they're transferring. But um, yeah, they haven't. They're they're working ways to figure out how they can account for transfers. Because then they have to it, it account. It, it would affect two teams. So let's say like Avery Roberts and Tyjon Lindsay and Tristan Jebbia, they all count it toward Nebraska's big class in what was it, 2016? 2017. Yeah. So all those guys were in the rankings in Nebraska's whatever they were ranked. They transfer out, so it would affect Oregon State's class and Nebraska's class. So that's um, you know there's. 
and and since these are historical books, you know, you want to be able to go back and look and compare. That's where the um, the differences come in. And when these transfers come out, they're not like a JUCO, where JUCOs are evaluated. You know, our analysts are out and watch their film. They go out and watch them live and in person. Transfers sometimes haven't played in a year or two and don't have new evaluations. So um, it's a it's something they're working through right now. I know it's, it's kind of a moving target. But what I can tell you in doing the math for uh, Charles Moore when he committed, if you go through and look historically as far back as we have data, which is right around the 2000 class, 2001 class, so the past 19 years classes, um, five of those transfers rank in the top 10. That's yeah, that's that's pretty cons- that's pretty incredible, and you know, it is really hard to gauge where these guys are at a year or two, sometimes even three um, after their original commitment, after they come out of high school when they're graded and everything. So, uh, you, you know, it is kind of hard to say. Well, you know, we add these guys to Oregon State's class, and you know, Oregon State jumps in the rankings to I don't know thirty five or something like that. It's it's hard to say. It's hard to in say. In terms exactly. of the talent that's coming in, you know, these guys are really, really good players. And so you know, kind of the aggregate there, I think, definitely boosts Oregon State uh, in terms of the competition and the recruiting game when you consider the transfers that are coming in. Yes. But it's just hard to measure. Um, and, and like I said, 24-7 is working on it, and they're trying to work through everything that – because, you know, they don't just do this willy-nilly. I mean, this is – they take this very seriously. And – um, it's something that they want to get right. They don't want to be changing the, changing it all the time because it's not right. Um, Eric, I think it's Flugy. I hope I said that right, Eric. Um, who are some future recruits or current underclassmen who show potential to add some physicality to the offensive line? Great question. And I want, hopefully you're a member of Beaver Blitz. If you're not, you need to be because Peter Osborne has an amazing article online right now. It's the... Um, Thoughts from the hangar. As I said earlier, he is a former offensive lineman. He loves the trenches. And there's been a ton of discussion in the lodge lately about kind of that fear of three offensive linemen graduating. And I loved what he said. He really broke down the film of the past few games. And he said someone like Gus or Blake, well, they've had great years. They were handpicked and recruited to be um, offensive linemen in an RPO system. Totally different system than what the beavers are running um the pro style um is way more difficult way more intricacies you're not just uh, blocking for a lane you are blocking and helping you might be doing um stunts you may be doing decoys it was the way he wrote it it even made a non-offensive line person like myself understand so um i think there's guys josh gray is one onisimus clark jake levengood um, Brandon Kipper will be back. I mean, there's several guys that um, Nate Eldridge, Noose, they're all coming back. And um, Coach Mahalachek has those guys forming him and molding them in, into the offensive lineman he wants for, for a pro-style offense. You've seen these guys too, Carter. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm not much of a, an offensive line guru or anything like that. You know, I, I definitely am more inclined to focus on the skill players and everything just because... Um, you know, I, I never played football. I, I was obviously never a lineman or anything, so I don't know all the intricacies that go on there. But what I do know is that this position group is a lot deeper than people realize. You know, yeah. there are some guys behind these starters that could easily step in 
and you know you wouldn't see much of a drop off. And we saw that this year with guys like you mentioned, Kipper, Cordasco, Carabonum. Uh, they all step in and look at where Oregon State's line is this year, just in terms of not only improvement from last year, but just you know they're one of the best lines in the conference. So yeah, yeah. There are definitely. Have you read guys, Peter's Peter's um, article from today? I haven't read this week's now. Okay, but so read it, it, it and is, then I'm also going to be putting up the trench report where he actually goes through and grades. He goes back and watches the film and grades each player for each play. Yeah, no, it's it's Tedious great stuff, work, and but it's good it, stuff. He always describes things a lot better with with the line play than I think either of us could on the pod. So yes, definitely go so check it out. Definitely go check it out. And if you join Beaver Blitz, then you also get CBS All Access too. So it's kind of a sweet deal. Perks all around. Perks all around, and you get to read Carter stuff all the time. Um, Robert Williams asked. What's up with Nathan Eldridge? Is he still on the roster or is he redshirting? He's on the roster. He had been dinged up, um, but he's good to go. It's a it's an or situation with him and Noose. I think Carter right now, I mean, it's just Noose has been playing so well. You don't want to mess that up. Yeah, Smith actually uh, touched on this, I believe, last week or the week before that Eldridge is good to go health-wise. He's, I mean, it's not like he's buried on the depth chart or anything. It's just that Noose has earned his spot. And he's proved that he can be a really formidable center in this conference. And that's not to say that Eldridge can't do it either. It's just that when you have a guy who's done it for more than half of the season already, um, it takes a lot to earn that job back. And that's just something that Eldridge hasn't done yet. But I fully expect him to um, to step into that role next year and see Noose maybe move over to a different spot on the line. I agree. Yeah, I see him slide over. Uh, Coda Bear asks, do Hodgins and Rashid declare for the draft? Well, I think Hodgins will. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, don't I just think... don't know where the draft stock lies for Rashid at the moment. And, and really, I am surprised that he's not getting more attention nationally. Um, yeah. Because we, we mentioned Chase Young earlier in the podcast. And, he, I mean, Rashid is above him in the leaderboard. And part of that is because of um, Chase Young's suspension and everything. But statistically, Rashid is, um, you know, doing everything Young is doing and then some. And so, well, they do play different positions, obviously, but Rashid is arguably one of the best linebackers in the country statistically. So for him not to get a whole lot of recognition uh, definitely surprises me. But, but from it's an Oregon one year. State perspective. I, I, I do think he needs another year. Just another yeah. solid year of and, yeah. and helping this as the team wins, more attention would be shown to him as well. Yeah, from, from an Oregon State. State perspective and from a, a selfish perspective, you know, obviously you, you want to see him come back for another year and um, and and earn that spot while helping Oregon State win some games. Definitely, definitely, and such a leader. He's he's turned into a real leader on the team. Well, Carter, that, those are some great questions, you guys. Thank you um, for throwing those out. I asked this morning, and you guys came through with some great ones. Again, I just want to, before we wrap it up, I want to um, remind our listeners, submit your favorite Civil War stories. It's so fun next week to celebrate Civil War with some of your favorite stories and your favorite memories. I know I'll talk about my favorite memory next year or next week, but um, submit those. You can uh, – if you forget my email, it's pretty easy, but you can direct message me on Twitter, but it's just Angie at beaverblitz.com. Shoot me a quick email with your favorite story. You might hear it on the pod or you may see it on beaverblitz.com next week. Otherwise, Carter, you and I will be in the lodge on Saturday night talking Oregon State Cougars. Yep, ready for a uh, hopefully 
a bowl eligible bowl eligibility clinching game for Oregon State, but uh, I'm just excited to watch two really prolific offenses go. Yeah, out. huge, huge game. So uh, stick with Beaver Blitz for the latest in recruiting, football, basketball coverage, everything you need for Civil War for the Washington State game. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Damn Podcast.